Hello everyone and welcome to In Conversation with Lisa Burke where every week I try to find topics and people of interest to you, my listeners in Luxembourg and well beyond Luxembourg. And this week we have a real treat. Médecins Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders, MSF started in 1971 and is marking its 50th anniversary. To celebrate this, I'm joined by Dr. Christos Christou, MSF's international president since 2019 and a member of MSF since 2002. His previous life was that of a surgeon, but today we're going to focus on his life as president of MSF. Welcome. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here today. Welcome to Luxembourg also. It's such a great opportunity for me to introduce also MSF again after 50 years, as you mentioned, in uh, the whole world and uh, more than 35 years in Luxembourg. Tell us about MSF, what you do and the purpose. So MSF is a movement, a movement of people that we are here made by people and we are here for people, for alleviating the suffering of those that they need us more, those that they are most excluded all over the places around the world. We have found ourselves, and especially the last years, in places that we'd never even imagined that we would be so needed. We do it by trying to respect as much as possible the human dignity. We do it by being present in those places that maybe nobody else can go. Natural disasters, conflicts, epidemics, malnutrition, and of course, people on the move. Mm -hmm. And when you say it's for people, by people, human to human... It's also about medicine. So who can join MSF? In this movement, there's not only medical people that join MSF. Of course, it's all about medicine, about delivering health services. But we need the assistance of logisticians. We need the assistance of finance people, human resources. So there is a huge variety of different, let's say, specialties that can really help us. And they do that both in the field where we go, in the different places where we intervene, as well back in all these uh, what we call now home societies, the countries where many people come from. And there they help us by supporting or enabling this mission to happen. And you remain neutral, you're politically neutral. Most of your funding is from society. How do you increase that funding to the level that you need in order to get the zones that you work in? That's a very good question. And actually, that's exactly what makes us feel so free to make choices based on our principles without compromising these principles. It's this independence that we get thanks to more than 7 million individuals all around the world that they support us. We are more than 99% depending on them, not just this financial independence, which is important, but it gives us the opportunity to engage with all these people. That's exactly what we are trying to do also these days uh, with me being present here and meeting donors, meeting ambassadors, meeting ministers, parts of the civil society organization. It's this engagement that matters more than anything else in MSF. And when you consider the pot of money that you have given to you, funding from the 7 million around the world, how do you choose where to go? It's always a hard choice to prioritise the needs of the people because needs are everywhere. If you look at the world today, it seems to be falling apart. These are 
tough choices that we have to make, but we are used on that in uh, medicine. In medicine, you can imagine yourself being in an emergency room. You see patients coming there. You have to do what we call a triage, see based on their needs, who needs to be treated first. So this kind of same triage, we try to apply in all operational choices that we make every day, knowing that maybe we sometimes could have done more, could have done better. But... Um, Yes, this is life and we have to carry on. We have to keep saving people. So give us an example of working in the field, what it's like for you as a doctor, how you feel, what you see, how you cope with what's coming at you, how you make those instant choices and how you and your team remain sane and mentally healthy as well as physically healthy. <laughs> Yes, it's difficult, especially in contexts that, uh, of course, uh, when we talk about stress in the mission, maybe in your mind comes usually those conflict uh, zones we're in and we, we constantly feel that our life is under threat. But I can tell you that it's equally stressful to be in other places, like, for instance, in the Greek islands these days, where you look at uh, the empty looks of the little kids' eyes where they are so desperate, they have lost any interest in living, they commit suicides. And this to us is much more stressful than having some conflict going there and bombs just dropped next to you. So coping with that is not easy, but it's again our patients, the people that we are there for, that they help us. Maybe it sounds a little bit weird, why and how? But this is a, a relationship that you establish when you're a doctor with a patient. You're there to stand by them, but they also give such a feedback and such an energy for you to carry on that is something that sometimes you cannot even believe. I think you've touched on something very important there because a lot of people, when they think about MSF, they think about the war zones, the conflict zones that you go into and you have to cope with your own safety along with trying to serve the patients that come to you with an assortment of illnesses and major injuries as well and you're in a makeshift zone but also you speak about the Greek islands you speak about those zones of non-conflict but the pushback the pushback at the European borders for instance of the refugees the flow of refugees that we have coming not just from war zones but increasingly from geographical zones where the climate might be changing at a rapid rate No that's that's a very very good way to describe what is happening these days with people's lives that they are under threat and it's not just that they are fleeing, as you said, from places where even our hospitals have been bombed. So you can imagine what happens with their families and why they want to seek for uh, safety. But they come also from places that they have been affected by the climate change. And MSF today is looking at it, is trying to analyze it, is trying also to provide the necessary evidence to link the climate changes with health consequences that we see. Of course, for humanitarians, we're not going to be the ones changing the climate agenda, but we can contribute more than just, of course, mitigating our own carbon footprint. And that's what we are trying. And that is exactly what also MSF in Luxembourg tries these days with their operational research unit. They try to understand the impact, for instance, from the floods that we had in South Sudan since last year. And I was there joining a mission this summer where I realized that next, of course, to the importance of dealing with violence, uh, dealing with health issues, it's also dealing with this unprecedented change in the environmental health, in the planetary health, as we call it. And you mentioned Sudan. We've also got a huge emergency state in Libya, 
what are the hardest countries to operate in today and perhaps by same definition the countries of greatest need yes um, just to name a few of course because uh, there is uh, in every single context that we are in there's a, a different challenge and uh, there are many things that make us wonder what we can do better but in Libya these days the situation is so inhumane the living conditions are such that they made us uh, really uh, going vocal and asking the European Union and the Libyan authorities of course to at least stay on some basic commitments now we are back in their detention centers and what we know is that for all these people there's no legal or safe way out of Libya. These people are trapped there in such inhumane conditions that it's really one of the worst, let's say, contexts in the world this moment. We have Afghanistan, for all reasons that I'm sure everyone knows these days. We managed to stay in Afghanistan. We retained our coordination team in Kabul. We retained all five uh, big regions projects that we have. And people now that the conflict seems to be settling are coming back. Yes, all our facilities are full of uh, patients. Of course, Middle East, Syria, Iraq, nothing has really been improved. We have camps like the one in Al-Hol, where there is more than 20,000 people trapped, families of ISIS and little kids that they are now becoming six, seven years old. And they were born in these camps, they were raised in these camps, and they don't understand why they are punished. What have they done wrong? And they are still there. We have uh, big camps in Bangladesh, Cox's Bazar, Rohingya populations. We have the Haitians, that they try to flee from another very unstable context, and they try to seek for safety. We are all familiar with the images of the Rio Grande in Mexico trying to enter in the United States. We have several places in, uh, in Africa, Democratic Republic of Congo, Central Africa Republic, still Ebola epidemics, conflicts. And there's a long, long list that doesn't end. It's hard to see any optimism in this. And just referring back to when you were saying people, for instance, in Libya, can't get out. There's no easy legal way for them to get out, which opens up the route for human trafficking. So I'm sure you must see this as well. Yes, we see that in Libya. We see that in the Mediterranean Sea. We see that from Turkey and Greek islands, which is true. And that's what we are insisting in. While we will keep making sure that no life will be lost in the waters. We try to convince the European Union and their policies to be shifted from an agenda that shows that uh, this right moment, that security goes beyond and above anything else, to something that brings humanity back to the center of the decision-making. I mean, we are here to provide human dignity and safety to people, and that would be our first concern. While this is not happening, and while they try to punish people from coming to Europe or detain them in these centers, then they will uh, choose more unsafe routes to do that, and more lives are lost. I understand that MSF remains a neutral entity, but from everything that you've said, everything that you witness, and these operational research units, do you feel that you can have a politically neutral voice by giving scientific evidence of what you observe on the ground? Yes, that's exactly what we do. And that's, I guess, what uh, brings uh, credibility and reliability to MSF. It's that uh, we do our best to become the voice of those that we are there for, of our patients. And we know that this doesn't work every time. 
But what we try to commit ourselves in, we never deviate from that, is that it's the evidence-based information, it's the science that should lead any of our, let's say, advocacy points that we may want to raise. We don't do that uh, just uh, to be, you know, asking people for support or to make them sensitive without making them also understand at the same time that this is a fact. This has gone through a reality check and this what we see and we say, we mean it. You gave us uh, just a couple of minutes ago a long list of terrible situations in the world. What keeps you going? I can bring you a story of one of my first missions uh, where I was uh, I was there in uh, the country for more than 10 months trying to provide antiretroviral treatments to HIV patients back in the early 2000s. Which country? It was Zambia. It was a small, uh, very beautiful project we had in Kampirimposhi, a village that was uh, hard affected by HIV. So one of my patients one day decided to stop the treatment because he heard that I'm leaving. And I had to talk to him. And when I talked to him and I said, no, someone else will come, will replace me. And you need to take this treatment every day. You know how important this. I said, no, you're leaving. No, but I'm also, I have my family. I I have to live. I'm a human. And he replied to me and said, no, doctor, you're not a human. You're my hope. So this is actually what keeps us in MSF. And uh, that makes us carry on. Because maybe sometimes we may not know exactly how to stand by them, what to offer. We may feel that this is not enough. But this hope makes them keep carrying on. That's that's incredible. That's incredible. That little comment from him. And I do hope that he did continue with the medication daily. RTL Original Podcast. It can possibly almost balance out that time you have away from your own family, which must be a long time. Yes, but uh, as I said, we are made by people. We are here for people. It's people that keep us going on. My family, everyone's family understands that. They are with us. You're a highly trained surgeon, a wonderful background, and you've chosen now to dedicate your time full time to MSF. I feel in the conversations I hear from young people coming up, they want to choose a profession where they feel they're doing good for the world. There's this conversation definitely around, which is a wonderful thing to hear. So can you tell us a little bit about what you've experienced in what was, I mean, I know now that you're paid for your work because it's full time and it takes a lot of time away from your family, but in your role as a volunteer, and all of the people that you work with in MSF, what does volunteering give back to you that can't be quantified monetarily? Yes. Um, first of all, I, I don't think you need to join MSF or any non-governmental organization, humanitarian organization, in order to, to feel that you offer to humanity. You can do that as many of my colleagues do every day from their own posts in their hospitals. And they are equally highly trained, even much more trained than I am. It is important to be able to establish this uh, good uh, relationship with your patients that go beyond profit-making and money. 
With MSF, this is more straightforward, of course, because next to a very interesting context that you may attend, you go on a mission, you see people, you meet new cultures, and that is also something that um, you really want, and uh, it's one of the, the things that you never forget. These are the memories that you carry on, and you make you continue. Who can join MSF? How can people get involved? Okay, let me talk about this chain of people that they are either on the front line and they implement what we call social mission. They implement what we do. We have people that they enable it to happen, like all of us that we are here now these days in our offices, in our home countries. And we have uh, those people that they support us, both financially, morally. More than this, they are engaging with us. So this is a chain that uh, every part matters. All parts need to work well together. It's uh, quite dynamic as well. Sometimes we may be supporting and some other times you find yourself for even a small period of time somewhere in the field. And that's how it works. And for your fellow doctors and nurses and medical staff, what would you like to say to them? A big, big thank you for what they do on behalf of everyone. Every person I meet, every patient I help, they want to know who's behind it. And they know it's not just me giving them this help. And these are the people that we make it happen, both our supporters, our enablers, our doctors, our nurses, knowing how tough is it, you know how many lives, how many colleagues we have lost, even the last year, even the last few days. And uh, we know that this is not going to stop. But as long as they have this passion, they help me, I help them, and we all together make this happen. And when you come to countries like Luxembourg, where we feel blessed, or we ought to feel blessed, for living in such a privileged and safe society, how can you get through to us to help you? <laughs> it's not bad to feel blessed. It's good. We should not feel uh, uncomfortable with this, as long as we also look at what happens around the world. And these days we can see, for instance, the vaccine inequity of this COVID uh, pandemic. So I'm sure that Luxembourg has a, an important role to play being part of uh, the European Union. We have to overcome this. We have to, to remind this world that only solidarity can help us come out of this safe. These are important things. So it's not just donating or having a kind of charity approach in these uh, problems. It's about trusting others around the world and making them also be part of what we want to make as a solution to this problem. Produce more vaccines, more COVID-related products, wave all these intellectual properties, share the know-how, the technology, all the knowledge that uh, science amazingly have produced this last year. And we have to do this all together. So Luxembourg, other European Union states have to stop blocking this. Actually, COVID is something we haven't touched on because when I think of MSF, I think about you going into emergency zones, often war zones. I think that's where your, your name is just there in, in the bright lights. But how has COVID added to the problems that you face on the ground? COVID has become, first of all, a magnified glass of what is happening around the world. We found ourselves intervening in places that we would never imagine, even in the United States, in Brazil, those areas where still many people are excluded by any kind of social net. 
COVID also showed to us how difficult it is sometimes to mobilize your resources, your human resources, your medical supplies. Thus, you have to adopt in a new reality, which says that you need to trust new markets, new regions all over the world, decolonize the model that you have. COVID also taught us how important, as I said before, is to treat it uh, as an opportunity for solidarity and not an opportunity for making profit. COVID taught us that uh, we should not rely only on the free market and the big pharmaceutical companies, but we have uh, to rely on science, a society of knowledge and a society that we can practice all this knowledge. And these are just a few things that we are learning and we still learn uh, from this pandemic in order to get better prepared because uh, unfortunately it looks like it's not going to be the last one. Mm-hmm, of course. Dr. Christos, it's amazing to have your presence. If you would like to leave us with a final vision for your role as head of MSF, what do you hope to achieve in this time? It's tough to say and all stick in one thing, but uh, I would like to make it simple and close it here. While, as I said before, the whole world seems to be falling apart, while uh, there are no values, where uh, we seem to be operating in a more and more hostile environment where people, and uh, especially state or non-state armed groups, they don't even respect the very basic principles of the international humanitarian laws. While we are under attack, while our aid sometimes, and that we can see also here in Europe, is being um, <coughs> criminalized, we are prosecuted of assisting others. I would like to say and see that MSF remains what it is, and what it is is uh, these few little islands of hope, and I would like to see MSF keep defending humanity. Dr. Christou, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.